0: How's everybody doing this morning? That's not good enough. Nine o'clock had you beat. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, all right. Much better, much better. All right, so Alpha. Alpha is this awesome opportunity to get people in an environment where it's comfortable to wrestle, and everybody's kind of coming from the same playing field, and the church isn't saying, this is what you must believe, but everybody comes, and they're in this place where they're wrestling to figure things out, and today's sermon is going to hit one of those big points, the what is the meaning of all this? What is the meaning of all this? We're in a series called Twenty One Questions, and the the this question we've had, we've divided into three parts, three Sundays. And the question is, why would a, a good God allow suffering? And last week we discussed the story of Job. If you know the Bible, if you know the story of Job at all, you know he's kind of the epitome of suffering in all the scriptures. And we talked about how Job could finally find peace when he trusted in the goodness of God. If you, if, you didn't, if you weren't here for that sermon, it's online, I'd encourage you to go and listen to it. But here's what it is. It's 42 chapters of Job enduring suffering, but probably one of the heaviest burdens that he faces is he's plagued by this need to understand the meaning and the purpose of Of his suffering it seems like that's almost the heaviest weight of the whole deal of all his sufferings he wants to know why what's the reason what's the purpose so I want you to imagine something I want you to imagine that somebody important not me somebody important comes to you with urgency and says hey 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 it's very important that I meet with you first thing tomorrow morning at the coffee shop down the road and then they just they bail what are are you what's the first thing that goes through your mind why What's the point? I mean, and if they don't tell you, you're up like this guy all night wondering, like if it's your boss, you're wondering, am I in trouble? Did I do something? What don't I know about? Was there a camera when I did that? Like, or if, if it's your wife coming home or your husband coming home and they say it's really important, urgent, I need to meet with you first thing tomorrow morning, you're going, oh my goodness, that question, why? What's the purpose of this? We spend so much of our lives in anxiety and worrying about the simplest of things, the smallest of things, and yet here's the great tragedy is many people will go through life and never stop and say, why? What's the meaning of all this? What's the point? What's the purpose? And so in this part two and three of this talk about suffering, let me just tell you what we hope for in life. This is is pretty true. We spend our lives trying to avoid suffering, loss, and trying to pursue pleasure and gain. Right? That sounds like a pretty good recipe. I would prefer to avoid suffering and to achieve pleasure and gain. And so, this week Solomon comes to us. Now, if there's anybody under the sun... Who could say, man, I had it all, I had power, I had fame, I had wealth, I had all this stuff, I mean, that's him, I had wisdom, I had all of it, it's Solomon, and last week we heard from Job, and he was suffering because he had lost so much, he lost his health, he lost his relationships, he lost his power, he lost his fame, he lost his industry and wealth, and he lost it all, and he's sitting around going, why, I wish I was never born, and then this week, we get to Solomon, and it's the other end of the, the other end of the spectrum. And he comes and he says, hey, I got relationships. I got fame. I got power. I got money. I got health. I got wisdom. I got it all. And I wish I was never born. I can't see the meaning in all of this. And to sum it up, this is what Solomon comes to. He says, I've, I've chased, and I've, I've gotten all this stuff, and I've filled up all that I know how to fill. And now I know... None of it satisfies, and in the end, death is ultimately going to come and steal it all from me. What's the point? And so Job laments in his loss. If he can't find a purpose for the loss, he despairs. And Solomon comes to us and says, hey, if I can't find a purpose for my gain, I wish I was never born. And we're quick to say, hey, wait, 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 wait. That doesn't make any sense. Solomon's got all this stuff, he's, he's, he's got the beautiful life. It's, it's right there, Solomon, you've got it all. And we want to joke and it's like, hey, Solomon, if you're so unhappy with all that money and fame and power, give some to me, right? But let me ask you a question. You think you would fare better if you were that successful? Well, let me ask you a question because I'd argue you're more successful. Here's your question. Would you trade places with Solomon. Three thousand years ago, the, the the wealthiest, most powerful, he had it all, right? Well, let me show you some of these things, and I want you to think: Would you trade places with them? Because I would argue you are far more wealthy and prosperous than Solomon ever dreamed. You have medical care. You get you get sick, you get an antibiotic. You go, we've got state of the art technologies that fight all these diseases. We've got clean water. It's kind of a bonus. We got a Publix where you can go into a store and find just about any food on the planet ready to go for you, and it's clean and safe, we hope. Here's one, air conditioning. As beautiful as I am, I would not be so beautiful if there was not air conditioner in here right now. I need air conditioning. I've got lots of insulation. We need like I wouldn't want to live in a stone palace in the middle of the Judea no thanks. I like my air conditioning. I've got planes and travel and cars and I can pick up and go wherever. I've got electricity that just lights up all these gadgets and lights and TVs and radios and everything else in my home that he couldn't even have dreamed of. We've got the ability to receive just about any good with the touch of a button on our computer and Amazon drops it off in two days, anything we want. We've got satellites circling the earth that put us in immediate contact, our fame and Facebook and interconnectedness. We're known all over the world. We've got platforms. We can communicate. We've got TV. We can see what's going on in a different part of the world in a second. We've got telephones and communication. We are by many, many, many degrees far more wealthy than Solomon. And the reality is is that when you look at our culture, you look at the sociologists, you look at the studies, you look at the trends, we're every bit as miserable. We live in the wealthiest period in the history of the world, bar none. We live in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, bar none. We live in South Florida, our three counties, Palm Beach, Broward, Miami-Dade, produce more wealth each year than the poorest 80 countries, countries in the world combined. We are wealthy and prosperous, man, we've got it all. And yet, even despite this relentless message, especially in South Florida that says, chase it, get it, just get more and more and more and more, chase the wealth, chase the fame, chase the notoriety, chase it all. Despite the fact that this world preaches that message, it'll satisfy. Just keep chasing, keep chasing, chase it further and further and further. You know the reality? Our rates of depression and loneliness, isolation, anxiety, suicide, all of it, the most, the highest it's ever been in recorded history. There is a mental health crisis going on. I found this chart. With USA Today, our population's grown by 17% since 1999. Drug overdoses are up 280%. We are self-medicating. We are miserable. Suicide rates among the nations up 62%. And among youth, it's way higher. Among teenage girls, it's doubled in the last decade alcohol we just we just medicate make the pain go away and you say well wait a minute if if this world is all there is like we should be the happiest we've ever been and everything is showing us that that good news is no good news at all that wealth all those things that we chase after with our lives that we think are going to satisfy do not satisfy success and what we chase after we're finding is bitter CEOs. Like you've reached the pinnacle, right? You're, you're the top dog. You're the most powerful. You've got the most money. You get the highest salary. The rates of depression for CEOs are more than twice that of normal, pe- normal people in the company. Children, and hear this because we are an affluent congregation. Let's just say it. Children of affluent parents are far more likely to suffer from anxiety and depression. Rates of depression are dramatically higher in the most wealthy countries. You look at the World Health Organization, or United Nations statistics, and you look at the rates of depression, it's like, bam, those are the wealthy countries right at the top. You look at our suicide rates. U.S. suicide rates are higher, and I'm not talking just by a little bit, by double, triple, five times as much for some of these. Our suicide rates are higher than Cuba, Haiti, China, Mexico, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, war torn countries where there's desperate poverty. And we have this afloat. We've got the prosperity and we're despairing in it. Why? We've got it all. Why are, we, why are we despairing? Why are we suffering? For the same reason Solomon did. Let me ask you this question. Really let this question land on your heart. Would you rather? Be in the midst of a season of suffering, but have the hope that it's going to get better, that there's a day to come where this suffering is going to be relieved and things are going to turn around. Or would you rather be in a season where every hope you can conceive of, you have chased down, you've conquered it, you've wrestled it to the ground and said, I've got it. And the moment you have it all, you look at it and go, and it doesn't satisfy. I'm still empty. Would you rather be the guy that's climbing up the side of the mountain in the vicious storm and cold and freezing and miserable conditions with the hope that at the top of this mountain there's some prize that's going to satisfy? Or would you rather be the one who's on top of the mountain only to discover that nothing is there? Job or Solomon? G.K. Chesterton is this really brilliant Christian philosopher. I want you to let this sink in. He says, despair doesn't come when we're tired of suffering. Despair comes when we're weary of joy. What does he mean by that? Man, I can go through suffering. If if I've got a hope that's in front of me, I can take the next step. I can go on believing that there's something better to come. But you let me experience every joy I can conceive of and let me see that they're all empty. There's nothing left to walk after. That's when despair sets in is when you've chased all your dreams, you've gotten all your dreams, and you find out that they're totally empty. Think of all the celebrities and billionaires and people who chase down their ultimates and crash on the rocks of utter depression. And this is where Solomon comes to us in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's not suffering because of loss. He's suffering because he's chased down everything he can think of on earth and nothing satisfies. He starts Ecclesiastes. He says... This He's introduced by the author of the book and then Solomon gives this speech and then the author concludes the book. But it says, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, and get used to this word. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And there's going to be three things in the book of Ecclesiastes when you read it that they just keep coming. You keep hearing them meaningless is one another one is under the sun what does that mean when he says under the sun everything apart from god and heaven everything under the sun god and hope and religion and spiritual all that is beyond the sun we can't see it taste it touch it feel it grab it so under the sun only with what we can see with our eyes and this is what i love when solomon gets going in this argument he says i'm going to go to the skeptics turf I'm not going to invoke Yahweh, the personal God. I'm not going to invoke his laws. I'm not going to invoke his covenant. I'm just going to talk from my experience because I've got lots of it. And I'm going to show you how the skeptics, the person who rejects anything beyond the sun, I'm going to show you how absolutely empty and desperate and broken and desolate it is. And then finally, chasing after the wind. So meaningless, meaningless, under the sun, and chasing after the wind, you keep hearing those things. And that word meaningless, or sometimes it's translated vanity, is really pretty fascinating. It's, it's the most common word that you find in Ecclesiastes, this Hebrew word you find in the Psalms, and the literal word for meaningless, which we, you know, the translators don't like to translate it this way because they're like, oh, it's too artistic. But the literal word is smoke or vapor. The Psalms will tell you that life is like a vapor. Same word, it's the Hebrew word hevel. And what is he getting at? Meaningless. It's really smoke, smoke. Everything is smoke. All of life is smoke. What he's saying is you're going to chase it. Look at it. It's so beautiful. Look at it dance. Man, it's, it's, it's gloriously beautiful. And so you chase after it. And what do you do? You grab at it. And man, the pursuit's fun. Like, And then you open your hand. You're left with nothing. And then you see it again, you chase something else and you grab it and that smoke and you grab something else and something else and something else and something else. And every time you open your hand, you realize it's nothing you can keep. It just goes all of it, your wealth, your fame, your relationships, all of it are going to be stolen by the grave and you know it. I don't care what faith you are, you can't deny that under the sun With no aid from God or Christ or heaven, if everything is just under the sun, only what I can see, touch, taste, smell, hear, if that's it, everything is smoke. Everything in that final moment is gonna slip through our hands. And you're left with utterly nothing, and it's all deemed meaningless. Good grief. It looks attractive but it leaves you empty-handed. And Solomon goes on, he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom all that's done under the heavens. There it is. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And what he's saying is, in all of my wisdom, I search desperately for meaning. I turned over all the rocks, wisdom, wealth, labor, pleasure, wine. I chased it all. Relationships, women, I mean, just, I couldn't, you couldn't even describe how much I had. And under every rock that I turned over, yeah, for a moment it was nice. And then nothing satisfies. It's a chasing after the wind. I love that. That's a beautiful, that's a perfect metaphor. Who chases after the wind? An idiot chases after the wind. Why? I mean if you saw me outside and I was oh, 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 because if I'm chasing after anything that's the picture really. <laughs> but you saw me and I'm out of breath and I'm huffing and puffing and you go what what are you doing? It's like oh, the wind. I'm after it. <laughs> Everybody's like all right, somebody needs to call someone. Where's Laura? Where's Lo-, you know. And the reality is if I could catch the wind I have nothing to show for it. It is going to be stripped from me. Under the sun, everything. Under the sun, without God, without Christ, without all the things that are beyond this world, if, that, if we're content to say that's all there is, then buckle up because you'd better say that this whole life is nothing but smoke that's stolen from you when you go to the grave. Everything, all of your relationships, your family, your money, your fame, your wealth, all comes to nothing, is ripped away from you, and you get the grave. That's your parting prize, but nothing else. And this is the same conclusion, if you you read the philosophers, this is the same conclusion that's reached by virtually all of the greatest philosophers in human history. They come to this question of why, what's the meaning, and they labor and they toil and they agonize and they think, enjoy today, there's no hope for tomorrow. Maybe there's a heaven. None of them have managed to solve the dilemma And so Solomon says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Man, if I saw it and I thought it would be fun or fulfilling or satisfying, I grabbed it. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And I want you to hear that because this is this is the honest moment. He's not saying everything's just miserable all your life. He's saying, No, no, no. In the moment it's really it's kind of it's delightful to chase after a dream. You've got hope. You're like, oh, here it goes. I'm going to track it down. I'm going to get it. And then you grab hold of it. And when you open your hand, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was smoke, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. That moment, that chasing, that toil, that excitement of grabbing at something, that is the reward. That's the only delight we get because we can't take anything with us in our own strength. It's all ripped away. It's all rendered meaningless. And so upon reflection, Solomon is haunted by these questions. What's the ultimate meaning of all my tears, of all my sweat, of all my worry, of all my time? What's the point of that all? If everything is ultimately going to slip through my fingers and I'm left with nothing at the end, What's the point? There's a guy, a famous author. You've probably heard of him. He wrote really, really massive books, too massive, frankly. His name's Leo Tolstoy. Probably one of the most famous authors of all time. During his time, he was the most famous author. He received more mail when he was alive than any other person on earth. He was super wealthy. He had fame. He was nominated for Nobel Prizes, Peace Prizes, Literary Prizes. He was super wealthy. He had an estate on 5,000 acres, had more than 300 servants living on his estate with their families. He was so wealthy, his wardrobe was so big that once a year he sent it away to Holland to have it washed. I'm thinking, you got 300 servants, what are they doing? But even the servants are like, send it to Holland. Like this guy is wealthy. He's got it all. He's got the fame. He's got the reputation. He's got the applause. He's got it all. But then one day, like Solomon... He asked that question, what's the point? And this is what he writes. That question brought me to the edge of the abyss. Are you there? It's good to go there. What will come of all I do today and tomorrow? What will come of my entire life? I could not attach a rational meaning to a single act in my entire life. The only thing that amazed me was how I'd failed to realize this in the very beginning. All this had been common knowledge for so long. Sickness and death will come to everyone. To me and nothing will remain except the stench and worms. My deeds will be forgotten sooner or later. And I myself will be no more. Why then do anything? How can anyone live and fail to see this? That's what's amazing. It's possible to live only as long as life intoxicates us. Once we sober up, we can't help to see that it's all a delusion, a stupid delusion. And we look at him and we say, well, he's an artist. You know, he's artsy-fartsy. He's melancholy. He has peaks and valleys. Dispute his logic. Take him him on. Take him to task. Take Solomon on. You think chasing after all the petty trinkets of this life are going to satisfy you? Boy, we sure sprint around after the wind like it will. You see, one of the things that he says is really fascinating. He says, it's possible to live... In other words, we can we can ignore the gravity of that question so long as life intoxicates us. You see, and there's this there's this reality that happens as we grow old. I'm, two months ago, my wife and I made this tragic mistake of showing my almost two year old son a, a video called Baby Shark. How many of you know Baby Shark? It's awful. It's of the devil. Well anyway, Nathan, almost two years old, we go home and we put it on, and it's "Baby shark, doo-doo-doo-to-doo, baby shark, doo 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 to doo baby shark, doo 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 to doo baby shark." "Mo,mmy sh-. Now I'm not going to do the whole thing. But here's the cool part. We're watching him. He's this big and he can, you know, he's barely learning to talk right now. And he's in front of the TV and he's bouncing around and he's dancing. He's got the biggest smile and he's, he's mimicking, you know, baby shark, baby shark, baby shark. And the song gets done and we're like, that was amazing. Look at him giggle. Look at him filled with life. How much he enjoyed that. And when he turns around and looks at us, guess what he says? Do it again. Do it again. Baby shark, baby shark, baby shark, baby shark, baby shark, baby shark. And now anytime I take out my phone or we turn on the TV, guess what he says? Two months later, baby shark, baby shark, baby shark, baby shark. After 600 times of hearing the song, baby shark, baby shark, baby shark. And here's the reality, and we all know this. Man, when you're little, the simplest things fill you with wonder and joy. You can look at them and do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. It's delightful. About the third time we heard baby shark, I'm checked out. But here's the reality. As a little kid, you're baby shark, baby shark, baby shark. And then you grow into middle school and you're kind of like, yeah, it's no longer all that fun to go to the park. Christmas used to be magical, but it's grown stale. My birthday's not that big of a deal anymore. And then you grow up and you become in your college years or your teenage years and you're going to high school and you're chasing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And the reality is life is, we're like addicts. We're like addicts. Man, at the beginning of our life, it took the tiniest dose And we were filled with this great high. And then life goes on and the simple things don't fill us up. They don't give us that high anymore. And so what do we do? We up the dosage. We're building a tolerance. And then life goes on a little bit further. And the things of middle school don't thrill us and delight us. And we up the dosage. And we up the dosage. And we up the dosage. Until we get so far into life that we find that no matter how much we increase the dosage, nothing satisfies. Nothing satisfies. It's like our appetite inside of us. And I want you to get this because you see it. You know this to be true. Our appetite inside of us is growing infinitely ahead of what we just experienced. So it's like the moment we grab hold of one thing that we hoped and prayed was going to satisfy us, our appetite goes up the dosage. Chase me more. And we finally get to a point where it's just slavery. It's just slavery. And we don't have the energy to up the dosage anymore. But here's my question, and you know this. If our appetite grows infinitely ahead of our last experience, if we have an infinitely growing appetite, what is the only thing that can satisfy an infinitely growing appetite? We need an infinite feast. We need the one who comes into the world and says, I am the bread of life. Come feast on me and you will never be hungry. You know, I've been chasing Jesus for almost 20 years and I can tell you, I have never reached the end of him. I have never gone, all right, well, that's the last bit of him. Let me find something else. No, he keeps growing more and more beautiful, bigger and bigger in front of me. I can't exhaust him. He fills my tank. He satisfies. All the other garbage failed me. And frankly, that's what led me to him. He is the only infinite feast for your infinite appetite. We're addicts. Listen to, what, listen to what Solomon says. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough. We just we, we can't get enough. The ear, nor the ear, it's fill of hearing. We want more, more, more. But he says what has been will be again. What's been done will be done again. And then here's the just dagger to the heart. There's nothing new under the sun i've looked everywhere i've tried everything what we have under the sun nothing satisfies and i don't see anything new so we're stuck in despair eat drink be merry you better get enjoyment out of the moment because there's no ultimate meaning there's nothing new under the sun and he says oh i've seen the burden that god has laid on the human race he's made everything beautiful for its time what he's saying is man there's delight there's beauty there's joyful in your kids and in your family and in your work and in there's wonderful moments but they're moments. And God has set eternity in the human heart. So we get done with that moment and we open our hand and it's gone. And we're going, no, I need something to fill me forever. I need some, something that will satisfy me for eternity. And yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. We all want the beautiful life, right? We do. I'm, look at my family right here. That's, this is the beautiful life is wonderful, right? Look at this collage. It's like kind of the a collage of what life is all about. You start with this boundless energy, this kid, and he's dreaming and imagining. And you go to graduation. And man, the world is your oyster. You're starting out. Everything is wonderful. And you find love and you start climbing the ladder and devoting yourselves to growing in your craft and wisdom. And you get these precious kids that you share life with and work's exhausting and you're tired. But eventually, you, you, you achieve the pinnacle, right? And the beautiful life, you get the pinnacle. You're the, the wealthy one. And everyone stands around and applauds how wonderful your life has been and you get the house and then in the twilight of your life your kids move away you give your kids away in marriage you're retired, your work goes away you spend the twilight years with one you love and one of you is going to go first and there you are and the coffin, let's just be honest the coffin swallows all of it if there's nothing else under the sun the coffin swallows all of it and we know it we don't want to wrestle with that that's a heavy thought man if this is all there is my my precious wife my precious kids are going to be stripped away from me the coffin's going to swallow it all but here's the good news when solomon cries out there's nothing new under the sun he's right until one from beyond the sun looks at us and out of pure love comes into this world, becomes a man. And here's the deal. He didn't come on a mission for the beautiful life. All those things we talked about, he forfeited. He said, wealth, I don't want it. Fame, not for me. Power, not for me. A wife, kids, grandkids, I'm setting all that aside. The beautiful life is not for me. I am on a mission for the coffin. He comes from beyond the sun to come and defeat The coffin. Why? Because the coffin renders all of our lives meaningless. It's all smoke. Jesus goes to the coffin and defeats it. He triumphs over sin and death. And guess what? Then he says, come in me. I have the power over death. I can infuse your life with meaning. Give me your relationships. Give me your wife. Give me your kids. There are no goodbyes in Jesus. And all your wealth that's going to be stripped away from your hands and you know it, invest it in my work and it will pay eternal rewards. All your labors, give them to me and they become infinitely meaningful. In Christ, the smoke becomes solid and all these precious things that we live for now find purpose and eternity. Whereas without him, whew, guaranteed and we know it. At the end of the Bible, these words come to us. And I want you to think. Remember Solomon lamenting there's nothing new under the sun? Jesus comes, and what do we find? What hope do we find? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Suffering, gone. How tender that He comes to us to wipe away our tears. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And He who is seated on the throne says, what? Behold, Solomon, I am making all things new. There is meaning now. The coffin has been overcome. Come to me, invest your life in me, and see what will happen. And to solve Solomon's Christ, God doesn't come with a new medicine or an expensive luxury or some new technology. He comes in the person of Christ himself and on a mission of love to see all these people who are hurting, to embrace them and to go to the coffin, to pass by the beautiful life and to conquer the coffin. Why? Because he loves you to pieces. You're his. And in him, you find your meaning. That's why you're created. You don't belong to yourself. You know, deep in our bones, we know that Solomon's right. For the entirety of human history, man has sensed this instinctive notion that eternity is on our hearts. And without it, without the hope of resurrection, we know everything comes to emptiness and meaninglessness. It's all smoke and we're just idiots chasing after things that we know that we can't keep even precious things. And C.S. Lewis points out that instincts are always given to creatures. And when God gives a creature an instinct, there's always this compliment to that, right? And so birds have wings, and it just so happens that there's a sky. Fish have fins, and it just so happens that there's waters. Babies long to nurse, and it just so happens that there's milk waiting for them. Sea turtles hatch on the beach, and they instinctively rush to the ocean they know is there. And humans have this instinct to find meaning, something greater than this life because nothing here satisfies and this is what C.S. Lewis writes he says if we find in ourself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy if we have that instinct the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world if you are grasping at smoke and chasing after the wind and seeking the beautiful life apart from Jesus let me just be blunt you know how that story ends the grave will take everything from you the coffin will rob you and render your life as meaningless vapor that's gone and forgotten in no time. Instead, invest your life in the one who not only destroyed the power of the coffin, but he has the power to infuse your today, your life, with victory and joy and love and meaning. Come to him. He's the only solution, and you know it. If you're not in a place where you're ready to say, you know what, I'm all in, that's what Alpha's for. If you know people that... that, are struggling with life and they see these questions. That's what Alpha's for. Come, wrestle with this. And our prayer for you is that you find in Christ the bread of life that satisfies forever. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the gift of yourself. How awesome is it that our God who created all things would enter into this world and forego and bypass all the things that we consider the beautiful life, to embrace suffering, to go for the coffin, to overthrow it, so that all the meaningless and smoke that we've been grasping after now has meaning and purpose. You are so good. You are so beautiful. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom to stop chasing after the wind, but instead that we would take every bit of our lives and seek to invest it in You because that's the only way that it will eternally matter. Give us wisdom to do that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.